Hello, I'm William Henry. Welcome to our fourth podcast on the main themes of Ecclesiastes. And this time, Michael and Sylvia Penny and I are planning to look at the subject of the good and the better in Ecclesiastes. In a couple of our earlier podcasts in this series, we've touched on this issue of what is good, but it might be worth looking at the subject in a bit more detail. So, Mike, what does the writer of Ecclesiastes say is good? Well, that, that's a pretty fundamental question, isn't it, Will? Uh, what is good for us and what is good for us to do? It's one of Solomon's major subjects in Ecclesiastes. In fact, the word good actually occurs in 15 verses in the book. So, well, shall we, shall we see what Solomon has to say about it? Okay, sounds good. So where do we start, Sylvia? Well, the first reference to good comes in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 to 3. And there we read that Solomon said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Yeah, that's how he began the book as well, isn't it? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Yeah, but um, as I said in our first podcast, well, I'm not too happy with the word, the Hebrew word hevel being translated vanity or meaningless. As we said then, its primary meaning is fleeting, temporary or transient. Okay, then. So what Solomon is saying is that any good that may come out of pleasure isn't lasting. He doesn't say what kind of pleasure he's meaning here, whether it's sexual pleasure or gluttony or something else. Well, he did have 700 wives and 300 concubines. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's something to do with that. But he yeah. also talks about laughter and folly, entertainment, I suppose. It's all transient, temporary. It doesn't last. And he also mentions cheating himself up with alcohol. Well, that, that's certainly up to date, isn't it? We live in a pretty hedonistic society where many people want to be entertained all the time. I mean, just, just look at the number of comedians there are on TV or the number of comedians doing stand-up routines around the country. And then that's, well, all that stuff is available online. You can download it. And most people, when they're out for the night, wanting a good time, use alcohol or drugs to cheer themselves up, as Solomon puts it. Yes, but it's, it's, interesting, it's interesting that he says, my mind's still guiding me with wisdom. So it seems that when he tried all these different pleasures, he didn't throw himself into it with total abandon. He didn't go on a bender and have three days of oblivion. He kept control and was mentally evaluating everything he was doing and what was going on around him. Yeah, and his conclusion was that it was all a waste of time. Well, no, not quite, Will. He wasn't saying there's no good in any of these things. We all need to relax from time to time. He's simply saying that whatever good is in them will not last. It's transient. So then if, if Solomon sees no lasting good in these things, has he got any suggestions about what would be a lasting good? Well, he, he actually asks himself that question in Ecclesiastes 6.12. There he writes, For who knows what is good for a person in life? 
during the few and meaningless days they passed through like a shadow. Well, clearly the answer to that question is God. He knows what is good for people. But Solomon elsewhere has some answers himself. For example, in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 18, we read this. This is what I have observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Yeah, this is something Solomon says quite a lot, doesn't he? I think in our last podcast, we saw that he concluded at the end that since we can't really understand the workings of God in the world, we should gain satisfaction from the work he has given us to do and enjoy the things he has provided by his grace. Yeah, and then again in uh, Ecclesiastes 9.7, we read, Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Here he says God approves of this, but not wine in excess and certainly not drunkenness, as he warns us in Ecclesiastes 10.17, where he says that blessed is the land whose king is not prone to drunkenness. And here's an interesting one in Ecclesiastes 2.24. There it says, a person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Here it doesn't simply say it's good, but it says a person cannot do anything better. And he says to eat and drink and to work is from the hand of God. Um, you know, um, he uses that phrase, nothing better, in Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13. There he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. So he repeats what he said earlier about eating and drinking and finding satisfaction in work. But he added, there is nothing better than for people to be happy. Right, so if there's nothing better than that, being happy must be the best thing. That must be the aim of everything. That's certainly, I think, what a lot of people would like, isn't it? To be happy. Yes. But wait a minute. If you take it just like that, it sounds as if Solomon is saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's another important comment here that we should do good while we live. That's right. I think it's not a life of self-indulgence that Ecclesiastes is is advocating. It's a life that's devoted to doing good. If we can't understand exactly how God is working his purposes out, then we need to do what is right and trust him for the outcome. Then we can enjoy the good things that he's given us and be happy and content. Yes, that's what we concluded in the last podcast too. God is going to call the past to account and make people accountable for what they have done. But do you think there's a danger of us just focusing on ourselves here? We may have wealth or a good job or somewhere lovely and peaceful to live, but many people around us have none of these things, not to mention those in countries that are being hit by war or the, the impact of climate change. I think it's not a bit trite to say, be happy and enjoy the good things God has given you. Yeah, you're right. But it's important to remember what the scriptures say about our responsibilities to those in need. Paul says this to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. 
In everything I did, I showed you but by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the word translated blessed is the Greek makarios. Wasn't there a, an Archbishop Macarius years and years ago in Cyprus? Yeah, there was. I think, yes, he was the one that got independence from for Cyprus. That is independence from British rule. Yeah, that's right. You remember that? Yeah. And there's a marble statue of him outside the Caicos uh, Monastery in Cyprus, which Sylvia and I visited when we were on holiday on the island. Anyway, let's get back to the Bible. The interesting thing is that a better translation of the Greek word makarios is to be happy, to be content. So, in effect, Jesus said we would be more happy or more content by giving than receiving. Okay, so it's giving rather than receiving that, that will make us happy. And a significant part of the good that the Lord is asking us to do then is to take care of those who are in trouble. Hmm. Yes, I think so. We all have to work out before the Lord how he wants us to spend our energy and our resources. And some Christians may feel that God wants them to concentrate their main efforts on helping the needy. The Salvation Army is strongly focused on providing practical help. But all of us have a responsibility to look after people needing help whenever we have an opportunity to do so. Yeah, and that takes us back to Ecclesiastes, where Solomon said there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. And the best way to lasting happiness is to do good, to give rather than to receive. Okay, then. So have we now considered all the references to good in Ecclesiastes? Well, not quite. There's a couple more in chapter seven. In verse one, it says a good name is better than fine perfume, which I think is self-evident, even though I like a good perfume. But later in the chapter, we read about the good in wisdom. Verses 11 and 12 say, wisdom is like an inheritance. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of, of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. That, um, that's an interesting parallel between wisdom and money, isn't it? You know, both of them bring benefits, but in the end, the comparison breaks down, I think. Knowledge and wisdom may preserve people who have them, but, you know, at times, money can destroy people. Okay, then, so here's your choice. Wisdom or money, which is better? Would you rather be rich and stupid or poor and clever? <laughs> Thanks, Will. I, I don't think that really is the choice, you know. <laughs> Funnily enough, Solomon does say something similar to that in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 13. It says, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. So wealth is no help to you if you're not wise. I mean, we have a saying, don't we? A fool and his money are soon parted. Yeah, but what if you're old? Do you think that when Solomon wrote this, he was thinking of himself? That is, he had been a wise youth, but now he's a foolish old king? Oh, I don't know. But that's an interesting possibility. 
Yeah, if, if you look at Solomon's history, I think in 1 Kings chapter 11, you find that he loved many foreign women, Moabites, Ammonites, and others. But that was forbidden by the Lord. Deuteronomy 17 verse 17 said a king should not take many wives. Yeah, and I think there's a good reason for that, because 1 Kings 11 verse 4 tells us that as Solomon grew older, his wives turned him after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. And as a result, the Lord was angry with them. But the Lord refused to tear the kingdom away from him during his lifetime for the sake of his father, David. Yeah, but the whole nation of Israel split in two. Uh, for after Solomon died, there was civil war. Exactly. But he'd started out so well, hadn't he? He did. When you go to the start of Solomon's reign as king of Israel, we read that God told him he would give him anything he wanted. And Solomon chose wisdom. Yeah. And the Lord was so pleased at his choice that he gave him wealth and prestige also. But Solomon does seem to be a bit troubled as he contemplated and thought about his old age. Remember, in the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, he begins by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And, and then he launches into a brilliant poem in verses 2 to 7 about the phys physical decline of the body in old age. The language is quite striking. Listen to this. He speaks of the days when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. You know, you get, you get the picture of a white-haired, frail old person shuffling nervously along the streets. Yes, and that section of the poem ends, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Yep. Death is waiting for him at the end, isn't it? That's why he warns the young person to devote their energy to following the Lord before they become old like Solomon and are exhausted and full of regret for the time they wasted on things that have no lasting value. The, the um, ending of the poem in verses 6 to 8 of chapter 12 is really bitter as he reflects on death. Remember him, that is, remember God, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered and the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Well, there we are again. Everything is transient. Nothing that we do lasts forever. And we're all subject to frustration. And I suppose death is the ultimate frustration to all of our hopes and aspirations. Yes, yes, it is. Now, in my book, Death, Fearing It or Facing It, which is published by the Open Bible Trust, I refer to the Welsh playwright Dylan Thomas. As he sat by the bedside of his dying father, he shouted at his father, Rage! Rage against the dying of the light! Rage against it, man! He was so angry and frustrated and could see the futility of this passing life. And I think many today may identify with Dylan Thomas's feelings. Yeah, I think that's right. But it's only in human eyes 
if you like, for man under the sun, that everything is transient. For those who remember their creator and try to live the way he would want, not everything is transient. Some things are. A tasty dinner is, is great, but you soon have to eat again. Yeah. But, but on the other hand, if we fill our lives with worthwhile things like loving and helping other people, especially those in need, and believing in Jesus and practicing his ways, then we will have life beyond death. And all we have done will be taken into consideration when the Lord evaluates our actions and our service for him. Okay. I think we said that the word good occurs in about 15 verses in Ecclesiastes, and I think we've looked at nearly all of them. But we also talked about this word better, and that occurs even more frequently in Ecclesiastes, in 23 verses, in fact. And yes, we've mentioned that a good name is better than perfume. Yes, that's in the sense of good, better, and best. But does Ecclesiastes ever use the word best? No, it is often difficult, you know, for people to know what is the better thing to do. But it's even harder to know what is the best thing to do. Yes, but we need to be careful. We've looked at several passages where Solomon says there is nothing better than. And to say there is nothing better than something, you're surely saying that that's the best. Yeah, I guess that's so, isn't it? That's a good mm. point. But what sort of things does Solomon say then that are better than others? Oh, there are several things that are better and they are mostly to do with wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 2.13, it says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. I think both of those are self-evident. Yeah, so Solomon really does value wisdom. We, we saw that earlier, didn't we, when he asked God to give him wisdom right at the start of his reign. And also in chapter 2, where he applies himself to the pursuit of pleasure, wine and laughter, he still says, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. So even when he was pursuing folly, he kept his wits about him and critically examined his own experiences. So is there anywhere else that he compares wisdom and folly? Yes. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 5, he says, it is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. I guess by the song of fools, he's implying the praise of fools. Yeah, that would make sense. It, you know, it plays to our ego to have somebody praise us, even if we don't deserve it. But few people like being corrected. However, it is better to have wise friends who can keep us on the straight and narrow, the right path. Okay, so what else is wisdom better than? Well, in chapter 9, verse 16, Solomon says that wisdom is better than strength. Yeah, nowadays we say that some things are accomplished by brute force and ignorance. Not a good combination, eh? <laughs> no, no. The person who is guided by wisdom is much better placed to deal with the issues of this modern life than the one who blunders on trying to force every situation. Then in verse 18 of chapter 9, it says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Yeah, these, these comments come at the end of a little story that Solomon told in verses 13 to 16 of that chapter. He described a little city which was attacked and besieged by a powerful king with a huge army. 
In the city lived a man who was poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. Unfortunately, nobody remembered him, and presumably he was not rewarded for his actions. Yeah, was is that a true story, do you think, or is it just one that Solomon made up? Well, there's no historic setting given for the incident, and it reads like fiction, but who knows, who knows? But wait, verses 17 and 18 are really significant. Solomon concludes, The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Doesn't that remind you of someone? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people in history, you know, our history has been full of foolish rulers who have led their people into destructive wars when wise heads might have counseled caution and more peaceful approaches. I mean, we only have to look back at the Iraq war or at Ukraine or Gaza to see sad examples of this. You know, one evil person or one unwise decision can do so much damage and undo, undo so much good done by others. Yeah. Okay, then, let's let's move on. Are there any other things that are better in connection with wisdom? Well, I really like the message in this one. Many older people today should heed the words of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Oh, gosh, yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of older people, sometimes myself, occasionally say things like, well, that would never have happened when I was young, or it was never like this in the good old days. I think we, we tend to look at the past through rose-tinted glasses, don't we? Yeah, I, I remember my parents saying such things like that as I was growing up. But, you know, it's not really a wise thing to say, and it's probably not even true. And it can be so discouraging to younger people. Yeah, I think there's no doubt, as we said earlier, that Solomon really rates wisdom very highly. He says things like, wisdom preserves those that have it, in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 12. He says, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. That's in chapter 7 verse 19. He says, who is like the wise? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. That's in chapter 8 verse 1. Yeah, your face looks pretty bright, Will. No, that's just my aftershave. Okay, that's probably enough about Will's face. Back to Solomon. Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs, which is really all about how to live wisely. Yeah, but Solomon also knew that wisdom had its limitations. Yes, he did. Right at the start of Ecclesiastes, in verse 18 of the first chapter, he says, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge the more grief. Why do you think that is then? Well, I think it's true that the more you know, the more you realise what you don't know. As he says in chapter 8, verse 16, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot comprehend it. So, so even the wise then can't get their heads around what God is doing. Yes, that's true. But there's another point here as well. I think knowledge can bring grief because the more understanding you have about yourself and your life on earth, 
the more you realize that knowledge is not going to save you from the inevitable. You will die like everybody else. And Solomon talks about this in chapter two, where he says, the wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And that's in verses 14 and 16. So if a wise person is going to die just like a fool, what's the point of being wise? Solomon actually comments on this in verse 15 of chapter 2. The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. Oh, God, that sounds like a comment made in the heat of the moment. Yeah, well, maybe, but actually, of course, Solomon is very clear that it is better to be wise than to be, well, not so wise. Now, talking of better, there is one last better that we haven't looked at yet. And I think it might be the most important one. It comes in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12, where we read, Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. And no doubt he says this in the context of what happens after we die, when the deeds of the wicked are judged. I think that really kind of sums up a lot of what Solomon has said about death, about resurrection and judgment. Even the wisest of us can't figure out exactly what's happening on earth. We see terrible injustices and unfairness in the world, and we wonder why it's allowed. We can try to help where we can, but it never seems to be enough. No, it doesn't, does it? That's true. It, it can get us down at times, but Solomon's solution seems to be Leave it to God. Mm. In the end, all the evil deeds of the wicked will be judged by God, who is the righteous judge. So, in the final analysis, it will go better for those who fear God. That's right. In Proverbs, Solomon says more than once that the fear of the Lord, that is, to revere the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And when we're raised from the dead, it will go better for us than for those who do not revere the Lord in this life. Yeah, it reminds us again of the closing words of Ecclesiastes. In uh, in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, it goes, Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Hey then. So Solomon was characterized by his wisdom, and we've thought quite a bit about the benefits that this wisdom brought him, and also the benefits that wisdom can bring to those who have it and use it. But Solomon was also well known for his fantastic wealth and the extent of his possessions, wasn't he? So what did he have to say about these? Well, that's what we're going to look at in our next podcast. So thank you for listening.